Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. And this morning, really, it's a privilege and a joy. I mean, whenever I get to speak on the po- I mean, here, I'll always try to go a little bit more intense. You guys are okay with that? I'm naturally a little bit more intense. My wife said, can you be more chill? You know why you're so serious all the time? Can you do some activity, some sports? She said, every time you do is go to cafe, sit down, look at people, read book, read Bible, write notes. Can you be like more fun? I said, this is me, man. You married me. And she's like the, the ball of fun. She wants to do everything, cycling, swimming, everything. She wants to do everything. And all I, want to do, all I wanted to do is just stay in a place where I can have a piece of glass before me, a window, and just people watch and get inspiration. I like to daydream. I guess that's the, that's the reason why I also become always, when I go to school, always get bad uh, grades. Because I always daydream, always think about our future, always think about what is possible, what can be like. I like to think about the impossibility. And somehow, because of that, God tapped on that. And I begin to look into the scriptures and I begin to have a journey, you know, in my mind, in my spirit about what, exactly God is saying and feeling in His Word. And I really am enjoying myself as I begin to just go deeper and deeper into the Scriptures because I get to feel the emotions and the heart of God behind His Scripture. I get to come to the place where I can get to know Him you know, through the, through the Word that's written, beyond the words, behind these words is a person and the person himself is going to release, releases the Holy Spirit to unveil Jesus. And every time when I begin to read the Word, I get gripped by the person of Jesus. And this is my prayer that this morning, that even as whatever that I have with God, my personal relationship with God, that I, as I presented it to you, I pray that it will come to a place where you will have a hunger and desire to know it for yourself more than just what I'm going to give to you. Today I'm going to talk about this thing called the supremacy of Christ. Wow, what's that music? What's that music? <laughs> I'm going to talk to you about the supremacy of Christ. I believe this is one of the main subjects, this is one of the crux of what Christianity is all about. Everything that we believe in our faith, everything about our faith as Christians revolves around this one person and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the centerpiece of all things, not just our Christian faith, but the centerpiece of creation. It is because of Him everything exists. In fact, when we started looking at the Bible, when we turned to the page 1, Genesis 1-1, when God says, let us, you know, let, uh, in the beginning, it was, uh, in the beginning, was, in the beginning, no, I'm so sorry, I'm distracted by my, my laptop. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when the opening scene of the Bible was this reality, heaven and earth was in one place. They are in a place of perfect union. They were in a, in a place where they were, in, they were in one place. There is no separation between heaven and earth. They are one entity. But of course, we all knew that when sin came in, Adam came into the picture, Eve ate the fruit. And when the sin came into the picture, there was a great divide and divorce between heaven and earth, between God and man. And not just that, but between man and man. When sin came into the picture, there was a great divorce and divide of what God has originally intended and it began to separate everything. Everything begins to fall apart. 
death came into, into the picture, sin began to be rampant in, 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 in the lives of men. And, and, and you begin to see more and more things begin to go downward spiral until that one person came into the picture. And he, I believe, Christ is the very answer to whatever that we see in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, where He's going to bring all things back together again. This is what He did on that cross. In fact, this is what the supremacy of Christ is about. You see, in G- I want you to turn your Bible to Ephesians 1, verse 9 to 10. Everything was separated. Everything was divided. Sin came into the picture. Death came into the picture. Heaven and earth was divided. God and man were separated. But then God has a plan and His plan is to release a seed from this person called the woman, Eve. And out from this seed, He's going to bring everything back into the place of order and restoration. And in this seed, is basically everything. <laughs> and in Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10, it says, Making known that he is made, he make known to us that the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in this person called Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time. The fullness of time is always talking about the completion of all things, which means everything comes back to a place of perfection. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, which means God. In the person of Jesus brings everything back together in a place of union. Heaven and earth will become one again. In fact, we get a taste of heaven today because of what Christ has did on the cross. By the Spirit, we could experience the reality of heaven right now. But there's a coming day where you are going to see with your own visible eyes that heaven and earth is going to become one entity. God and man is going to dwell together with no separation. We'll see Him eyes to eyes, face to face, hand to hand, walking at the cool of the garden with Him again. Personally, body, soul and spirit in steroids experiencing the glory and the splendor and the beauty of who God is, the creator of all things, the definition of beauty, the originator of creation, and we get to see Him. Through Jesus, all things were created and all things are redeemed and all things are brought together for Him in love. You see, Revelation 22 verse 13, it says that, Jesus is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Basically, what he's saying about himself, he's saying this, I am everything. I am from the beginning and I am in the end. I am everything. And in, I want you to turn your Bible with me to also hear uh, in Colossians chapter 1. I like to talk about Jesus. Because we, want, we need to know Him. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. I want to, I pray that at the end of the day that you will see the supremacy of Christ, that He is truly everything that we need. I'm turning to the Bible so slow. Too big. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, it says this. 
Constance preached, I mean, mentioned that he is the image of the invisible God. This is Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and in, on earth, visible and invisible. Whether throne or dominions or ruler or authorities, all things were created through him, not just through him, but it's also for him. Everything is made for Jesus. You were made for God. You were made for Him. And He is before all things, which means He is before creation. He was before in the beginning. He was before the foundations of the world. He was there. And in Him, all things hold together. The reason why we exist today, because Jesus is. Because Jesus wills. Because Jesus wants you to exist. The reason why we are here still breathing, our molecules is still moving, our breath is still breathing, our breath is still breathing, we are still breathing, it's because Jesus gave you the breath. He wills you to be alive, despite of what is going on across the earth. Terrorism, threats, people killing one another, despite of that, Jesus is still allowing them to live because He is merciful, because He is good, and He has a desire that transcends beyond the evil on the earth. He wants man to be with Him because they are created for Him. I'm so intense. He is the beginning. He's the head of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, in that in everything that he might ha- be the what? Preeminence. You know what's preeminence? That he'll be the first of all, every- of all things. He'll be the top priority. That he'll be the first thing, or the foremost things. He'll be the everything. Everything else is last. There's only one thing called first, and the rest are called last. That's the preeminence. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in. That means everything in Jesus was the pleasure and the delight of God found in one man called Jesus. Everything that God delights in and His pleasure is found in a person and His name is Jesus. All of God is found in Him. And of course, through Him, He reconciled all things to Himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. Not just that, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. I was with some boys or guys yesterday doing some Bible study from Hebrews chapter 1. And the more I begin to look at Hebrews chapter 1, I begin to get dumbfounded. I begin to get fascinated with the person of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Long ago, read with me, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke through our fathers by the prophets. But the last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, Jesus, whom He appointed the heirs of all things, and through whom also He created the world. He is the very radiance of the glory of God, the very exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the entire universe with the power of His word, and He makes purification for sin as He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What What the Hebrew author was trying to say is this, that Jesus is the very glory of God, being seen by men. Man could never know God because God is infinite. Your finite mind or finite brain, peanut brains that we have, the most scholarly person that we, ha- that we have on the earth today with IQ 260 plus, whatever, the mathematician, don't know what is his name. 
I saw it on YouTube. He's really smart. But no matter how much IQ he has, our finite brain can never fully comprehend an infinite God. Because we cannot know God, God Himself has to come to lower Himself to become a finite us and to reveal the infinite God. God became man. He walks among us in flesh like you and me so that we can see who God is and what He's like. He is the perfect image of God and not just that, but He's the perfect image of you and I. Everything changes when God came into the scene of humanity. He walked among us as a man to reveal to us the glory of the invisible, infinite, and incomprehensible God. In order for the finite being like us to know the infinite God, God has to condescend Himself to become an infinite, to become a finite being to reveal an infinite God. And then not just that, if you read in verse 5, there's something about Him that's more than just a man. Is what he says, For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. What he's trying to say is this, Jesus is more than just a man. You have to understand, man is made lower than angels. But there's something about Jesus that God said, you were, He's more than just a man. In fact, He's more superior and He's more excellent than any angels and being that's been created. He is like no other. He's not, just, he's not like you, neither we are like Him fully. He's different from us because He's the only one in the world, in the entire universe, is called fully God and fully man. None of us here are fully God, but we are fully man. But there's only one person in the entire known universe, apart from God, there's only one human being that has this name called the Son of God and the Son of Man. He is fully God and He is fully man. And there is, there, His name is Jesus. He's not like us and there will, not, there will never be anyone that will be like Him. He is fully God and fully man and He's the only begotten Son of God. He's the only Savior of the world. He's the only Messiah. He's the only perfect image of our Father. He's the only radiance of God's glory revealed to all mankind. There is only one Jesus. There is only one man that can rightly represent God who is in heaven that we can never fully know because He's infinite. He's eternal. He's before time. He's uncreated. And in Jesus, there is the supremacy of who He is. He's not just like another prophet. He's not just like another religious leader. But He is God. And not just that, but He is man. If I could just put it this way, Jesus is the highest revelation of God. Not just that, but He is also the highest revelation of what we will become one day. If you lose Him, you lost everything. If you have Him, you have everything. Because He is the totality, exclusive being that only can rightly represent God and represent man. And if you have Him, you have everything, but if you don't have Him, if you lose Him, you lose everything. He is the definition of all things. 
Man, just let us sink in for a while. The question for us today is this. What do you think about this man? What do you think about Jesus? Are we going to agree with the scriptures, the word of the prophets, and the word of the apostles about concerning this man? Or are we just going to just let it be something that is vague, unassuming, presumptuous? Are we going to get to know this man? Because if he is everything, which means that our main pursuit as human being on the earth today is to make him some, make him our absolute goal to know him and to have him. If this is the supreme, if he is the supremacy of all things, then perhaps he is the goal of all men. He is the inheritance of all mankind. He is the great reward of anyone on the earth could ever have. More than precious gold, silver, wealth, riches, fame, reputation, anything. If he is the goal, and if he is everything, perhaps we have to make a choice today to make him supreme. To make him our top, our preeminence. The first place, the first things. The city have this first thing, right? First things in finance, in the five things. I can't remember. I'm so bad. Relationships, resources. Yeah. Time. It's like, what is the sixth elementary truth? <laughs> you guys know what is the sixth elementary truth? <laughs> no, just true. We're just kind of doing some like a Bible study with like some of these guys. They've been in church for a long time. Then we just suddenly asked, do you know what's the sixth elementary truth? Then after that, they were like choking a little bit. Um, um, this is our elementary truth. We don't know about it. And if I were to ask all of us here, what is the sixth elementary truth? Maybe some of us are like, oh man, I, need, I wish I would know now. But you know what? We need to get to know all these things. We need to start growing in order to know Christ, in order to know Jesus, we cannot just come to church and think, thinking that it's once a week and that's it. It has to be a daily routine, a daily pursuit of making Him our goal, our, our reward, our inheritance, that He will be supreme, that He will be all things to us. And I'm going to talk about the subject matter of the supremacy of Christ because the subject matter of the supremacy of Christ is based on these two things. It is our fascination of the excellencies of Him, which means the, thing, the beauty and the glory of Jesus will be the sole obsession of our life, that He is the main wonder of our life, that there will be no end to the wonder and the majesty and the beauty of who this person is, that our entire life is consumed by the beauty and the excellency of who Jesus is, that we will not lose the wonder of who Christ is to us. That worship will constantly flow out from our life because we will always stay in the place of awe and wonder of who He is and what God has done for all humanity and we will remain in the place of worship for all eternity saying, worthy is the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. And not just that, the subject matter of the supremacy of Christ is about life and death. This is something that is very much lost. Today, we have people talking about all ways lead to salvation. <laughs> I want you to know there's only one man 
who died for the atonement of sin. There's only one man that rose from the dead and defeated hell and defeated the death. There's one man that, ro- that ascended to heaven and said at the right hand of the Father, not just that, there's also one man who is going to come back and restore all things. There's nowhere else in the world or anything else that's been said about a man or a prophet that's going to do that for mankind. There's only one man in the record of history that basically defined BC and AD, that His coming, His death, and His resurrection defines time of human history. There's only one man. And there's no other name that which by, by which man can be saved. There's only one name. It's a bit intense. I feel that there's a resistance here because this is a little bit too intense for all of us Christians because we are so in tune and so used to being socially, friendly, inclusive. But I want you to know Jesus is exclusive. So way of salvation is a very exclusive thing because no one else paid the price. No one else be willing to die for the sins of the world. No one else except Jesus. He is the very core, he's the base thing of the supremacy of Christ is about life and death. In Him, holds life and death. In Him, those who believe, who call upon that name, shall be saved. There's no other way that Jesus said, we can. He's the only way, the truth, and the life. I'm confronting some things in our hearts today. Because we have been steering a lot from what we are seeing and hearing around the world today. People are giving alternative options. But I want you to know we have to stay true. And the reason why we don't preach Jesus today or evangelize or even to reach out to our friends because we think it's fine. They will find God anyway. Anyhow, through different people, but there's no other way. There's only one way, Jesus. You're the only one that I will live for. That's such an old song. That's like my, my time. For 4,000 years of prophecy regards to the appearance of this man, it all came through. You have to understand the Old Testament is 4,000 years old and all the prophecy points and talks about the coming of a man. And it came. He came true. There's no other words, no other scriptures elsewhere talks have the accuracy of, 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 the, of details of a person that come. But only in record of history, there's one man that fulfills all of it. Not just that, but for 2,000 years of prophecy from the prophets and the apostles talking about the coming of that man again. The return of the Son of Man. We will come back to restore all things back to the original state. Whatever we started in Genesis, you will read Revelations, it's going to be all restored. And it only comes through by the return of a man. Completely. That's why he is supreme. There's no other way. He's the only person. No other gods. But one. And God's strategy to the world's salvation, you know is what? Is to unveil His Son to the world. That also that all men will believe that God exists, He's true, and He's real, and He's alive. But you know what Satan's strategy? 
He has lost. He's defeated on that cross. He realized that. He thought he won, but when, when he rose from the dead, he realized he has lost. But you know what his strategy today? His strategy is this. To deceive, to distort, and to devalue Christ. It's the same old strategy from that old serpent. In the garden, he did the same thing to Eve. Is that really God? Did God really say this? Is this really true? You will not die. God says you're dead. No, he's just joking. It's not true. It's just interpretation. Same. The same old strategy. The main aim of Satan today is to distort your view of God. Is to begin to distort him, to deceive you, and to devalue him. Why? Because he longs to be in that place. Satan himself chose to exhort himself, wanting to be God, but God humbled him. But Christ chose to humble himself, and God exalted him to the highest place. And Satan hates that. And he will do all things to distort and discriminate and begin to devalue Christ any way that he can. Have you ever wondered why is the name of Jesus is being used as a curse word more than any other religion leaders? Why? Have you ever wondered why the Hollywood movies will always use the name of Jesus as a curse word? Why not others? I cannot say it because record it. Why? Why they would not use my name as a cast word? Jason! <laughs> Why would they use the name of Jesus as a form of mockery? Why not any other name? Have you ever wondered? He wants to devalue this man to the world so that we look at him in such a low place that we will not esteem him or honor him the way he ought to be honored. The world is being, the name of Jesus is being abused and being discriminated so that when we look at that name, we feel shameful. We can talk about God vaguely, people will be okay, but you start talking to people about Jesus, you see all hell break loose against you. They will mock you. You can talk about God. Oh, God bless me. I will praise God. God bless you. Every time you go to all this Hollywood, you know, they give thanks. Oh, we want to thank God. Everyone is fine. But when you see one celebrity begin to start thanking Jesus, you see all hell break loose against that man. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus is the definition of who God is. The world will try to create an image of God to, for all men. And everyone has their own interpretation of God. But Jesus is the only person that has the perfect image of who our Father in heaven is. And people and the devil and Satan will do all things to distort that so that people will not know Him. See, Satan doesn't mind us feeding the poor reforming the nations, but he might ask, and he, he minds us, he, but he minds the testimony of Jesus. He don't mind us feeding the poor. We can do all the humanitarian work and reaching the people in the, on the earth, giving them a better life, which is important. Please understand, it is important, but he don't mind that. But what he minds is when you begin to give them the testimony of Jesus. 
The world can be changed and become a better place, but without Jesus, it's still the same. Again, only by that name which man can be saved. And if we can begin to use those platforms as we feed the poor and reach the people, these are platforms for us to reveal Christ to them so that they may know the love of the Father and the love of Jesus who paid the price on the cross for them. You see, the greatest challenge to the kingdom of darkness is this. It's for the witness of Jesus to get out to the earth. Why? Because Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. He says the gospel of this kingdom will go to the ends of the earth as a testimony of Him. And then what? The end will come. You know why the devil hates the end? Because he knows what, he what he's going to get in the end. Do you know why the devil hates the second coming of Jesus? Because it's going to be the end of him. He's going to be locked into that confined in a lake of fire for the rest of eternity. And he, for the rest of eternity, he has to watch Jesus being worshipped by men, which he longs for. And for all eternity, he will be suffering in the, in, the, in, in, in the lake of fire, witnessing Jesus receiving the reward of his suffering. And that caused him to do all anything to prevent the testimony of Jesus to go to the ends of the earth. Why? Because he don't want the end to come. And with that, this is how you do it. He will just keep on distorting, devaluing, putting fear, putting, releasing deception, having you uh, give you an ideology about God that is all from the Bible, and that's why He'll stop people from praying, He'll stop people from reading the Bible. Why? Because He wants to keep you away from knowing God, knowing Christ, because in Christ is a definition of God. If you can stop talking to Him and commune with Him and start understanding and know His truth, He gets you. It's intense but I'm telling you the truth. Really. But in the days of old, you know what? Many gave up his li- their life preaching the name of Jesus. If you read through the scriptures, Paul, Peter, Thomas, James, Steph- Stephen, they all will not stop talking about Jesus even at the expense of them saying, stop using that name, but they still preach. They say, there's no other way. There's no option for them because they know there's only one name that man needs to hear and know about. And they gladly lay down their lives for that name. And the early church, you know what? They have to contend for their faith in the very person of Jesus. I will show you scriptures later. I'm going to turn a lot of scriptures to you later. So bear with me for a while, but I just want to say that in the early days church, the apostles... And the, and, and, the, and the early fathers, they have to contend for the person of Jesus. Because in those days, there are people preaching about different Jesus. That's trying to sway the world and trying to begin to give them a glimpse of who, who, a warped mentality of Christ. But the apostle has to constantly fight and contend for their faith with regards to who Jesus is. And this is what we need to do today as well in our faith. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? Because if you see Him and know Him rightly, you will live the right way and you'll become the church that He has ordained you to be. 
the world will be impacted. You see, the testimony of Jesus by the early days church, they will do anything, whether by living or by death. They, will not, they are not wavered. And you have to understand, this is what the enemy wants to do. I see, I want to put a disclaimer. Sometimes we have this mentality that we say, you know why we always talk about what the enemy wants to do? Just focus on Jesus. Yes, it's true. But have you heard of uh, this famous art of war guy called Sun Tzu? He says, know your enemy and know yourself and you'll win every war. If you know the plot and the vices of the enemy, if you know. See, the problem is not about focus on Jesus. The problem is we are ignorant. Sometimes we may be a little bit ignorant with what is going on. And all we want to put ourselves in that bubble of just, okay, we just keep being in that place but being ignorant, even being attacked and assault, we don't even know. But if we begin to understand how He works and understand who God is, we are in a good place. And so there's a reason why the early days church, the apostles, Jesus, always give us certain kind of warnings. If it's not necessary, He won't put it in the Bible. And I want to just put it out there. It's okay to talk about some of the warnings and the pre, you know, the pre, the pre, pre-em of what is going to come. It's okay. In fact, it's good to know. Having a knowledge of it doesn't make you be focused your attention on it. Having a knowledge of it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to keep your eyes on it. Being aware of it is what is more important, but keep your eyes on Jesus. We have to be aware. But keep our eyes on Jesus. I want you to turn your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 24. Some people really don't like this passage. But I want to come to this point. It's because I want you to show you Jesus actually is telling the church these things. This is what he says. If you read from verse 4. To verse 5, it says, Jesus answered them, say, See no one who will lead you astray, for many will come in my name and saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And, and in verse 9, it says, Then they will devel- deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. You have to understand that it's going to come a day where the very claims of Jesus, the exclusivity of who Christ is, is going to offend people. Jesus is the only way. How can you say that? That's offensive. Jesus is the only way to truth, to life, and, and He's the only way for salvation. How can you say that? That's offensive. And even in the church, people will feel offended. I don't know if you feel the tension right now. I do. I, feel the, I felt the tension right now. This is so offensive. Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. That is offensive. And not outside the world. The people outside will be offended, but not just that. There are the people among the church, they will hate one another. Because of the difference, because of who Christ claimed He is, people are going to be offended. And, not just, and in, further down, if you read... In verse 23, then he says it again. Then if anyone says you look, there is Christ, and there he is. 
do not believe for false Christ and false prophet will rise and perform great signs and wonders. They will show you that they can do signs and wonders. And Jesus said it twice and three times and he's basically trying to capture our attention. He says, guys, please be watchful. Be aware. Look at me. Don't look at anyone else. Look at men or what some other prophets would say. But look at me. More than just base your entire life on what is being said on the pulpit, I want you to come on a journey to know me for yourself and not to rely on what this person say or that person say. I want you to know me for myself. Look at me! That's what looking at Jesus means. More than just looking at the spiritual leader of the church for to know Christ, you have to know it for yourself. You know, there's two occasions in the Bible that a curse is being placed on people. You have to understand, we are not to curse people when we have to bless our enemy who curse us. So we are not supposed to take our arms and start fighting war against those who hate us, but we should be gladly laying down our lives as a testimony of Christ's love for the people. So our role is not to curse people, but bless, even at the expense of being persecuted and hated. All right, but there's two times in the Bible where the Apostle Paul and God himself actually say that a curse will be placed upon people if this happens. Turn with me to Galatians. And there's a reason why I'm saying all this because at the end of the day, I, want to, I pray that God will give you and help you to understand there's a certain urgency of the hour that we have to start preaching truth and the word. In verse 6, chapter 1, or rather let's go from verse 8, but even if we, we or an angel from, he's talking about Paul, Paul's talking to the church of Galatia, he says, even if an angel or us, our team, come and preach to you another gospel, let him be a curse. This is what Paul himself said. He says, if I come to preach another gospel, or even an angel appeal to you and preach you another gospel, let him be cursed. And he said again in verse 9, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be a curse. And there's another part of the scripture, it's in, actually in Revelation chapter 22. You can turn with me. When, when John comes to a conclusion of the book of Revelation of Jesus, and, he, and then this is what it says in verse 18. Jesus said, I warn everyone who hears the word of this prophecy. Or rather, John himself prayed or said, I want, in verse 18 of chapter 22, I want everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book in Revelation, if anyone adds to them, God will add to them plagues. <laughs> Intense! I didn't make this up. God said it. Why? Because in the book of Revelation, it's about a man, not about events. It's about those wisdom, this power, the glory of a man who is able to bring everything back in order. To remove anything and everything that separates God and man and separates heaven and earth, that separates between man and man, Jesus will come and bring an end to these things. 
death, sin, devil, Satan, they will all come to an end. Jesus will put an end to all these things. And this is his strategy here in the book of Revelation. And sometimes as we read about it, we feel offended. But you know what? If any one of us who will add or remove anything from this book, this is what John himself said, let him be cursed. Intense. Why? Because it's not about the events, it's about the person. We have to know who Christ is. You see, Christ is not just the four book of the gospel. Christ is from the beginning and to the end. He is from Genesis all the way to Revelation. He is everywhere. And we cannot add or remove, choose and pick what we want. This is what we have to guard as believers that He must be supreme. That He has to be our absolute. That we will not twist and turn based on what we desire or what we think He is like, but we have to know Him for ourselves. And you know what? I'm going to read a few scriptures here and, to, and right here, and I'm going to come to an end because I want you to know that I did not make these things up. In fact, the early days, Apostle Jesus, all of them actually gave a charge to the entire church. And if we choose to harden our heart and just choose to pick what and choose what we want to hear, then I, perhaps I want, to, I, want to, I want to encourage all of us here. Please don't pick and choose. I'm going to read, just read scriptures from here, alright? I'm not going to talk much. Second Thessalonians 1. Sometimes, when we don't read much of the Bible, I get shocked when I read this. Because I didn't know that it was there. But when I start reading it and I found it was there, I get stunned. Because at the end of the day, it's God's word. I didn't write this. Paul himself was the one who wrote it. The people in the early days basically put them all together and said, this is the word of God. I didn't choose and pick what I want to eat, but it's right here. And this is what it says in Second Thessalonians verse chapter 1. I'm going to read. It's quite long, but... Bear with me. It says this, This is the evidence of a righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Which why it means that whatever you are preaching, when you are preaching Christ for the sick, and you suffer for His sake, and it says at the end of the day, God is going to come as a judge to redeem and to give you the vindication. And since indeed God consider it to just repay with affliction to those who afflict you, then grant you relief to who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance of those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of God and the glory of the might. <laughs> Let's move to chapter 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our, our, and our being and and. And our being gathered together to Him, we ask, brothers, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or by a spoken word. For a letter seemingly to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come, let no one deceive you in any way. For the day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. What He's trying to say, Jesus will not return until there is a mighty rebellion from the earth. Against God. I didn't write this. This is Paul. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Some call him the Antichrist. 
who oppose and exalt himself against every so-called God and object of worship so that he can take the seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God, to be like Jesus, to be the Messiah. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And it goes all the way to verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed. And this is what it says. Whom the Lord Jesus will kill. <laughs> really? With the breath of his mouth and bringing nothing by the appearance of his coming. Which means this. Jesus is going to come back and finish off this man called Antichrist. By his... <sighs> I didn't make this up. It's not pre... I mean, it's not... This is, this is Paul, guys. And that's why it says in verse 11, Therefore God sent them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that may all be condemned. You see, guys, I'm not... Let's turn to 2 Timothy verse 3. I want you guys to know and aware there are things in the Bible that we have not read before. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you read from verse 8, it's talking about these two men called Janus and Jambres. I don't know how you pronounce that name. Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. So this man also opposed truth, man corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. And if you read verse 10 onwards, it says, You... He's talking about Timothy. Paul is saying to Timothy, but you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecution, and my suffering that happened to me at Antioch in Iconium and Lystra, which persecution I endure, and yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people will be, and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and be deceived. And then Paul continued to exhort penalty. And as long as you, whatever you remember that you learned as a young boy, you have to understand that every scripture is God's breath. God inspired. No one trying to make things happen or write on their own accord is inspired by God. And therefore, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Timothy, my son, I charge you to preach the word. In the presence of God and in, before Christ, I charge you, the one who is going to charm, come and judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, I charge you to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort, to complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teachings. But having itching years that they will accumulate for themselves, teachers to suit on their own passion and will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myth. <laughs> Why my laptop always like that? John or Peter chapter 3. I'm going to just read another few more scriptures and I'm going to come to an end. Second Peter Chapter 3. And this is what it says. Verse 1. I'm just plainly reading scriptures. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by the, by the way of reminder, reminder that you should remember 
the prediction of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desire, and they will say, where is the promise of His coming? 2,000 years already, you have been talking about the second coming of Jesus. Where? Stop living in that myth. And then because of men in history that write books that based on their own interpretation and people begin to shun it because of one incident of a man who misquote and miswrite interpretation of scriptures about the second coming of Jesus, defining times when he's coming, and all the everyone in Christian faith begin to shun the subject of the second coming of Jesus. And that is foolishness. Because of one man's error and interpretation, we begin to deject that because of a delay, we begin to become slothful with the reality that Christ is coming again and the events is going to take place. Written clearly in His Word. Because of man's error. First John, chapter 2. I'm going to finish. John himself, the apostle, writes to it. Don't know who he writes to. He just writes, it's a letter of John writes to his church and he says verse 18 children it is the last hour and as you have heard that antichrist is coming and so now many antichrists come therefore we know that it is the last hour and in verse 21 i write to you not because you do not know the truth but because you know it and because and because no lie is of the truth who is the liar but in the midst and that he who denies jesus is christ this is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If you have heard from the beginning abides in you, you will, t- you will too abide in the Son and in the Father. When is the beginning? I think he's talking about here. <laughs> Whatever that the apostles talk about. L- let's go to Jude. I'm going all the way to the end. Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter. Verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to sins. For certain people has crept in unnoticed who long ago were designed for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God in sensuality and deny our only Master and our Lord Jesus. He's trying to say, there's many other ways. Christ is not supreme. And then, of course, if you read Revelations, another way more intense, it's talking about the seven churches, where I talk about the doctrines of Nicolaitan, talking about the woman Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel, and talk about you know, the doctrine of Balaam. And he says, if you don't depart from all these deceiving doctrines and demonic doctrines, you have... You have to remove yourself from these things and begin to know who I really am. That's why it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. And at the end of verse, and in chapter 13, you know what it says? Let's read the last, cha- last verse. I think I have to read this. In, in Revelation chapter 13, I will go beyond the just, I'll interpret it for you. I will not. I'll read the scriptures. And the beast was given a mouth. He has a mouth. Uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise... It was allowed. God allowed him to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened his mouth with utter blasphemy against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, of who will dwell in heaven. And it was also allowed to make war with saints and conquer them. And authority was given to it over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And all who dwells on the earth will worship this man 
who is not Christ, and everyone whose name is not written, has not been written before the foundations of the world, book of, of the, in the world, in the books of life of the Lamb, in the books of life of the Lamb who was slain. And he says this, this is what he's trying to say. Anyone who is not found in the book of life by the Lamb, they are all going to be swayed and they are going to be relieved in this man. And you know, that's the reason why we have to start preaching Jesus. There's an urgency for us to start talking about Jesus. We have to start telling our friend who this Jesus is. Why? Because He's supreme. He is the fascination of every mankind. He's made for all men and all men were made for Him. And not just that, He is the matter of life and death. There's no other way. He is the only truth, the only way and the only life. And this is my conclusion. You see, church, I'm going to bring this to the landing. There's a reason why I'm saying all these things because I believe we are in a time and a season where God is going to raise His church up. Where we will be fearless because we know who Christ is. He's supreme. He stands alone. There is none like Him. He is way more powerful. He was given all authority. He sits above every name. He has the power to begin to overthrow kingdoms and kings. He has defeated death and, and, and power of darkness. He overcame it all. And you know what he's looking for? He's looking for people who will know their God and become strong and start doing exploit with Him by preaching His name and declaring to the world who this Jesus is. You know what? The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And we can only fully have the testimony of Jesus if we begin to start engaging Him in a place of communion, of prayer, and at the same time, knowing His Word. God allows scriptures, He gave us scriptures so that we can know Him. More than just being a theory about Him. We can actually know the imprint and the nature of God through the life of Jesus and through all these words that has been in His book. And this is the two biggest challenge in the church today. Prayerlessness and biblical illiteracy. You know why? Because He don't want you to know. He wants you to have a distorted view. He wants the world to disciple you of who Christ is or who God is. But people of God, we have to start contending for our faith. We have to start contending for our faith to know God for ourselves. And not just that, the one that we encounter and we know is the one that we are going to witness. That we are going to bear witness of Him to a world who have yet to know Him. He's supreme. You see, the solution, the, this is the biggest comfort I have. Prior to Jesus' return, promise in His word, God is going to raise up messengers who will proclaim the superiority and the supremacy of Jesus. Messenger who will prophesy and bear witness of who He is till Jesus become the very subject matter that ignites our heart, fuel our church, and defines who we are and who we are not and to give redemption to all mankind. I want to say that again. Prior to Jesus' return, God is going to raise up messengers to the church who will proclaim, a supi- to proclaim the superiority of the supreme and the supremacy of Jesus. Messenger who will prophesy with the spirit of prophecy that will give testimony of Jesus, bearing witness of who Christ is till He becomes our subject matter that ignites our heart with a passion. That Jesus becomes the very soul passion that burns in our heart. <laughs> 
He is the very reason that fuels the church in the advancements of the kingdom of God. And He will be the very definition of who we are and who we are not. That Jesus will be everything. The solution to the chaos, to the human decay, the moral decay, to the terror threat is Jesus. Why? Because He is first and foremost the very fascination of all men. Every man has a longing. The reason why they fight for what they fight for is because they believe that these things matter to their heart and they want to be found, satisfied. But their ideology turns them away from the truth. They will be willing to give themselves and their lives away for something that doesn't matter. But first and foremost, we have to understand we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and power. The battle is won in a place of prayer, which Christ has opened the way for us to stand in the courts of heaven to release His power and authority to bring change. The solution to the world is the prayer of the sins. Second thing, not just that. The second, the solution of the world is the gospel of the kingdom. We need to start preaching Jesus. We need to start telling them who Jesus is because He is what they are looking for. He is what the world is looking for. He is the answer to the peace in the Middle East. He is the answer to the corruption of human moral decay because He is the very definition of what beauty is. He's the very definition of what morality is. He's the very definition of what man is. He's the very definition of who God is. And we need to tell the world who Jesus is. Tell the world that Jesus. Because it's intense, I just want to make it less intense. And this is my charge and my encouragement to all of us here. I'm not asking you to look at what's going to happen. I put it out there because I want you to be aware. But but what I'm trying to steer you towards is to know that man. Because he is everything you need to know and everything the world needs to hear. He is the answer and He is the solution. Our humanitarian work, our effort of transforming the world without preaching of Christ will be in vain because He is the very longing of every human soul and spirit. And I pray that God will raise you up to become that very voice and to be that witness of Him that the world is waiting to hear. Church, In the midst of chaos, the light is going to shine. And when you begin to preach Jesus in the midst of darkness, He is going to reveal His glory. And I pray that God will raise you up in whatever sphere that you are in to be a person that people are going to see or hear Jesus from. I pray that the next one year in the city church, there will be souls and more souls who will come into the kingdom and that they will know the truth. To see them being liberated to become who they are called and made to be. Let's all stand to our feet.